Shalom from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to Conversations with Yael podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each month, I will invite leading thought leaders, pastors, rabbis, and other influential guests to discuss the importance of Israel in the world today. For those familiar with my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, which explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith, this podcast takes that understanding and translates it into ongoing support for Israel among Christians and the critical need to nurture that support with the next generation of Christians. Join me now as we begin this important dialogue. Shalom and welcome. Today I have a very special guest with me on this podcast, someone that I actually had the pleasure to meet in Ukraine. Since the war broke in February, he has been an instrumental partner to the fellowship, helping to rescue thousands of Ukrainian Jews from that war-torn country. He continues to play an important role in helping the fellowship meet needs on the ground and prepare for whatever comes next. Since the war broke out in Ukraine this past February, he has worked around the clock to bring Ukraine. Ukrainian Jews to safety and preserve the Jewish communities across Ukraine. To date, we have helped bring nearly 4,500 Olim, new immigrants, come home to Israel, to their biblical homeland. In addition to keeping those Jews that stayed behind safe and giving them everything that they need to survive. I have had the privilege and honor of working alongside him, and I can't wait to have him share his firsthand experiences from traveling in Ukraine and working among the people there. Ilya, welcome. Thank you for having me, Ayel. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Okay, so I've known you for a bit, and you are one of the most interesting and uh, impactful and passionate people that I know who has really dedicated his life to caring for the Jewish communities across the former Soviet Union. But before we get started on your work and all the details of what's been happening lately, can you share a little bit about your background and what you do, the, the, the history of how you've been working in Ukraine with the Jewish community and where you're at now? Can you share that with our listeners? Sure, definitely. Uh, well, for my last 10, 15 years, I've been working with Israeli uh, security and aviation. I've pretty much traveled all over the world and uh, we're providing security services to Israeli national airlines. For the last year, I'm working with the Federation of Jewish Communities in Ukraine. And uh, my uh, position is uh, pretty much to take care of the security aspects of all of the Jewish communities. That's uh, really the top of the iceberg. This is about me in few words. Uh, so, yeah, this is pretty much what I do. Amazing. That's a very important and high responsibility job that you have had and continue to have, especially now with the war that broke out. I remember just days before the war broke out in Ukraine, we talked about the possibility of war reaching Kiev. As we were standing in the middle of one of the Jewish schools and synagogues inside of Kiev, we were looking at a map and I said, what are the possibilities that war will happen in Kiev? And everyone looked at me and said, that's a very, very small possibility. In Kiev, the Jewish community has felt safe and secure, and no one believed that war could get to Kiev. 
Why do you think that this was a common belief amongst the Jewish community in Ukraine? And what was going through your head as this reality became something that we were living in the moment? Well, it's good that you mentioned this uh, this meeting that we had. I remember it like it happened actually yesterday. I remember the uh, st- yeah. standing over the map, showing you all the possibilities, uh, where they can attack, where they cannot yes. attack. Um, when your question is about why people didn't believe that the full-on war will pos- will be possible, I think it's the 21st century we're living in. Everybody, uh, everybody already passed the point when you see tanks rolling on the streets and yeah. when the city's being bombarded with a with a heavy uh, artillery. What everybody was thinking is the possibility of uh, some kind of a um, you know, guerrilla warfare, the uh, special units coming in and uh, sabotaging uh, certain uh, certain locations, the certain infrastructures, uh, maybe some uh, cyber uh, cyber attacks, but not real full on invasion. That's and uh, especially Ukrainians, uh, not only Jewish communities, but everybody in Ukraine, were hoping for diplomacy to do the the actual work and uh, for diplomats to resolve the uh, the conflict but at the end right now we we see that it's it wasn't the case yeah, it's a really good point. I think so many of us attributed those days of tanks rolling into a major city to something of the past. And it's exactly. still hard to believe exactly. that reality like that is happening today. And those early days when everything was new, the communities weren't prepared. Those were some of, I think, the most challenging times. And we had different challenges then during that first week of the invasion than what we're facing now. So let's start back there. What were some of the biggest challenges from someone who is in charge of security and helping also with food security in those first days of the war? Can you tell us a little bit about what the Jewish community was going through in Ukraine? Well, yes, uh, definitely. I remember that uh, really clearly. The first week, first two weeks, even uh, all of the stores uh, suddenly were locked. Everything was, was put on hold. So... really basic things that people needed like food medicine they were uh, weren't able to to get or they were supposed to stay in a very long lines that uh, could take a few hours and uh, for elderly people especially this is the biggest challenge in the in the beginning of april end of march beginning of april the temperatures in ukraine are close to zero so for the uh, person who's 80 years old to stay in the line outside for a few hours just to get some basic needs, uh, things like milk, bread, you know, basic medicine uh, that uh, he or she needs, that was the, the biggest challenge. So with the help of uh, uh, the fellowship and uh, other humanitarian organizations that uh, were willing to help, me, myself, and the other uh, people who was working with me, we were uh, really helping people to get the basic things that save their lives. Wow, wow. There are two things that stand out there to me, Ilya. One is I've been going to Ukraine two, three, four times a year for the past 18 years. And Ukraine is a city that could be like any other European city with huge supermarkets and stores and cars and traffic. It isn't very 
different from where I grew up in Chicago or where I studied in college in New York. And to think that overnight that shut down and suddenly the supply chain was disrupted in a European modern progressive city that suddenly people are waiting in line for the basics for food and can't even get it is something that I know makes me realize just how vulnerable we are when we're facing um, war, when we're facing threats that in a second reality, as we know, it can change. And most people then actually uh, evacuated. And you, Ilya, even though you were able to evacuate, you made the decision to stay behind and do everything you could in order to help others. What are some stories that stand out to you? I know you've seen so much, and I know uh, it does affect you personally, even though you are only focused on helping everyone else. You've been in the war zone. You've seen some of the worst of humanity. What are some of the stories from the evacuation of the Jewish community from these early days all the way up until now that stand out to you and has uh, made an impact on your heart? Sure, yes. There is actually one story that uh, will stay with me till the end of uh, my days. Uh, I s received a phone call from somebody that I never met in my life. A person told me that there is uh, an elderly man, 92 years old man, with his uh, 67 years old son that are in Kiev and they need help to be evacuated. Um, I got the the phone number, the the address, so I came and visited the uh, the couple. Um, I saw a 92 years old man who thinks very clearly, just like he's 17 years old. And when I tried to explain him all the dangers that uh, can come and the shelling and uh, th th that he needs to be evacuated to Germany, he, he looked at me and with this, he just looked inside of my soul and uh, he told me, look, Ilya, when I was 17, it was 1942. The Soviets evacuated me from Dnepro, which is another Ukrainian city, uh, all the way into Russia. We were riding from uh, from the Germans. That was evacuation. This is the uh, the times when the city was bombarded. Right now, it's not real war. What I see right now is I have gas, I have heating in my uh, in my apartment, and. <clears throat> I don't see the reason to uh, to run anywhere. Plus, I'm 92 years old. I will uh, that will be my last evacuation. I will never come back to Kiev. So at that time, I really didn't know. <clears throat> sorry, I didn't know what to answer, and um, I just left him. The next morning, I came once again, and I was trying to convince him and his son to pack the things and to evacuate to Germany. And uh, after a few hours of talking, really deep talking uh they they said yes let's go and uh just to see the person who survived world war ii he was riding from germans into russia and right now tables turned 180 degrees he's riding from russians to germany and that's that's just uh really the story that will stay with me for the rest of my life Wow. Wow. You've been so dedicated to protecting the Jewish community and all the trauma that you've seen from these Holocaust survivors and the vulnerability to have to go and evacuate one more time a Holocaust survivor. And I know there were so many of them uh, from once again impeding destruction and war and being targeted. Um, 
I can't even imagine how painful that is also for someone who, who called this region home, that you were raised there and you were uh, brought up there. What was it like to grow up as a Jewish man in uh, the former Soviet Union? Well, that uh, was a challenging, uh, challenging thing. Uh, on one side, uh, the family still uh, keeps uh, all the Jewish traditions, but it's kept inside of the family and you're not allowed to spread the word out and to tell to your friends in the, in the school, in the playground, uh, the holidays that you're celebrating at home, you know, Passover, Rosh Hashanah, all of those things, you're not allowed to, to share your experience as a, as a child. So it definitely was a challenging thing to grow up as a Jewish um in Jewish family in former Soviet Union. Yeah, there's this intergenerational trauma that a lot of people ask me, why are there still Jews inside the former Soviet Union? We know there are around 200,000 Jews still in Ukraine. And what I always explain is those are mostly those who have had very severe generational trauma from the Holocaust, those whose families were killed, that they were left orphaned, that they didn't have the ability to start over outside of where they were uh, used to living, outside of their familiar country. So they went back to Ukraine, to Russia, to all the different countries. And now what we're seeing are the children and grandchildren who were raised both with a Jewish identity, but also still this fear that something could happen to them at any point. So the fact that you've gone into protecting the Jewish community and that your life mission and profession is securing Jewish institutions is something that um, I see as a full circle, being in that position of past generations, of vulnerable to all the people and forces who hated the Jews and tried to kill them, and now being in a position to be able to really uh, stand with International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, so many other organizations, in order to provide protection to the Jewish community. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You are uh, a, a wonderful um representative of everything good that we need in the world. You were telling me, Ilya, that you recently returned from Ukraine and you were saying something very interesting. We've been there. Um, we've been there together. You've been there with some other fellowship uh, staff members volunteers. And each time the border looks very different. In the beginning, the border leaving Ukraine was uh, days that you would have to wait in line in order to get out right when the war started. We know that uh, men between the ages of 15 and 50 around aren't allowed to leave. And so it's mostly women and children who are evacuating. Uh, millions is what the UN puts the number at of uh, people who have left Ukraine. And then we saw for a few weeks, the border was actually pretty open and clear. Um, those who want to evacuate have already evacuated. What did you see now uh, in the past? You just returned from Ukraine two days ago. You're in Israel now. What did you see at the border now? What was the situation of people leaving, returning, and, and, and why does it look like that right now? Yes, you're completely right. I returned just two days ago back to Israel. And uh, right now the borders are looked very different from whatever they looked uh, two months ago, a month ago. A lot of people are actually starting to come back. Mostly it's the family with children. Uh, the new school year is about to start in a few days. So 
people are thinking twice if to continue their stay in European countries and for their children to start new schools with a new language, uh, with a new mentality. And uh, a lot of people are really thinking twice how their children gonna going to take it. Are they going to be... Uh, good students are they the new language will be easy on them to to start learning or maybe just to pack their things and go back to ukraine and start in any possible way to start living again i think so yes right now uh, the borders are really crowded it takes about uh starting from five six hours and it can get up to 12 hours to cross the border Wow. Wow. So it's the life of a refugee that right when the war broke out, people immediately evacuated, leaving everything behind. And so we think about how they left behind their work and their homes. But now we're realizing that they also left behind their life, the school of their children. And it's a big decision out if they're going to start anew in a new country or if they're going to go back to the home that they've known their entire lives and, and let their children continue. So it's both, I think, bittersweet. On one hand, it's uh, devastating. They have to make these calculations of their safety and what could potentially be new areas that the Russians will invade and, and that they could be in danger once again. That's the hard part. And Maybe a little bit the happy part is that things are reopening again in Ukraine. After being closed for so long, we see that the schools are opening. And I know six months ago, for the safety of our fellowship employees, we had to make the decision to close our Kiev office, to have them work remotely. And I'm so happy to tell our audience that we're actually recording this podcast just days before we can finally reopen our fellowship offices. So I know the fellowship is able to, again, provide our employees with a secure location to continue our life-saving work. Um, and how does it feel for you, Ilya, to see that the different locations, schools, orphanages, synagogues for Jewish life in Ukraine, are those reopening? And how does it look different than how it was operating before the war began? Well, uh, yeah, some of the uh, locations are uh, reopening, uh, not to the scale that it was used to be uh, before the war, but uh, definitely uh, some of the locations are starting their uh, their activities. If it's uh, day camps uh, for the children of those who stayed, if it's uh, synagogues, and uh, you know, it's the small things that actually uh, making your uh, life uh, as a as a person who lives in Ukraine. Uh, you see that the life is coming back slowly but surely the life is coming back and it gives you the hope that uh, the war, it's not everything in the world. There are few more things, the happy moments and not only uh, sirens and, and shooting and uh, the news that you see, but uh, really the people are coming back. The offices are opening, the community centers are opening places where you can uh, see people who you're familiar with and who can help if you need to receive the help. So it's definitely, wow, it definitely the resilience. gives, gives uh, you, you can see, in other words, it's uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. Beautiful. It's it's this resilience that I've seen throughout the years I've been in Ukraine and across the former Soviet Union of the Jewish community, the ability to 
always have hope, always, despite all odds, rebuild to show up that we know even during the first days of war, there was synagogue happening and prayer happening and the Sabbath happening with bombings and shellings all around. It's that resilience, I think, specifically of the Jewish community in the former Soviet Union inside of Ukraine um, that now is such a light and inspiration to so many people that they are continuing. They're not giving up hope. They're not giving up faith. And they're going to open up the Jewish schools, open up the synagogues and, and do whatever they can to continue to to live while they're able to. It brings us to the next area of the desperate needs. If before the war, Ukraine Jewish community was poor and in need of help, I think that the war now has kind of decimated, has, has totally um, uh, uh, destroyed any sense of security or planning that the Jewish community has. They used to plan for the next winter, for example. I remember being there in the summer, visiting different orphanages, and all the schools would say, I don't know how we're gonna, going to pay the, the heating bills for next winter because it's such a poor community that are living month to month. We know now that the price of heat has gone up significantly, that it's very hard to find fuel anywhere in Ukraine. There are long lines, uh, limits on how much you're able to buy. What do you see as, uh, what's your biggest fear as far as sustaining and helping the Jewish community as these winter months approach? What are we going to see and what are the needs going to be? Well, uh, you you said the correct thing. Uh, the sense of security. This is uh, for me at least. It's the uh, the main issue. And uh, for the uh, community members, uh, they uh, they want to to understand and they want to know that when they're sending their kids to school, that uh, they are safe and uh, nothing will happen to them while they are at schools. That there are certain protocols of uh, if uh, something goes wrong, that the teachers and the uh, the staff uh, of the schools, they know what to do and how to act. We have a program in place that's uh, pretty much uh, we're trying to uh, put uh, professional uh, and trained security guards at the schools uh, to make... Uh, like kind of a training to the uh, teachers and to all the school staff how to act in the uh, time of emergency because uh, the uh, the reality changed completely within the last six months and the new school year uh, will start in the shade of uh, shelling, in the shade of uh, sirens and uh, the missiles uh, flying over the heads. So uh, the uh, elder people who are in charge for the kids must know how to act and what to do in case of emergency. So this is what, what we're trying to provide. And we already have the, as I said, we have the program in place. Uh, we're working uh, closely with every community. And uh, this is uh, this is the most important thing. Obviously, the, the food supplies, the uh, heating season, as you mentioned, uh, will, will come uh, very shortly. And uh, that's uh, another thing that every community thinking and trying to resolve the issues trying to stock the uh, the food and the fuel for the for the heating but uh, obviously you can't cover 100% 
but you're trying to do your best and with the with the help of the fellowship and uh, other organizations uh everything is possible amen amen a real message of hope and i know uh from the standpoint of security which is is what you look through uh the eyes of security and keeping the jewish community safe i know it also hasn't been easy and there are a lot more fears because suddenly now Almost everyone in Ukraine is armed. The government of Ukraine has defended itself by giving out so many weapons for just the average citizen to be able to fight and defend their country against the Russian invasion. But I think the biggest fear of the security establishment right now, and one of the reasons why the fellowship is rushing to really provide whatever security we can to the Jewish institutions, is that there's a lot of anti-Semites, individuals who, with the weapons they have, pose a very big threat to these Jewish institutions. So, Ilya, I just want you to know on behalf of all of our listeners that we are here with you to help whatever we can to protect the Jewish community, especially now during this very vulnerable time. Thank you. Really pleasure to hear. I want to know, you have seen some of the hardest uh, situations, both as far as individuals who are suffering. I've seen pictures of you in war zones. I've seen the videos. I've heard stories of those that you've helped. You have literally saved thousands of lives. And I'm sure it's come uh, on the expense of you feeling fear, of you feeling vulnerable, of you feeling like you're not safe, that you had to do things in order to keep other people safe. Um, but you, despite the fear, despite having the ability to just leave to Israel, get out of the war zone, you stayed in order, in order to help others. And so what I want to know, Ilya, from a hero like you, what has been the inspiration that's kept you going, that's kept you, uh, staying strong and continuing to be, be able to help other people during this time? What have you turned to for yourself as inspiration? Well, um, nothing really uh, general. All of my uh, school years and when I was younger, I was raised on the the stories about the Holocaust and uh, the stories about the uh, Second World War. And um, this time when something evil like this happening uh, in the 21st century, I just couldn't allow myself to be uh, to, to be standing on the side to go back to Israel and watch over the news and try to help in any way possible from Israel, uh, I saw myself really taking an uh, active part and uh, nothing really uh, general, not political views, nothing like that. Uh, for me, it was important if I could have saved one life, one family to, to, to put them on the bus and to make sure that they're getting out of the war zone, that was enough for me for the day. So, and obviously thinking about personal security as well but this is something that i've been trained for years and years and years so it came naturally to me but uh really my agenda was just try to help an average people who are in need you are a very humble hero Ilya. We're getting towards the end of this podcast, but I remember, I have one memory of us in uh, Kiev together right before the war. We were going around trying to find the most vulnerable elderly to bring them what they need in order to prepare for war. And uh, I remember the story of one woman that we went to go visit her. She lived in a big apartment building. She recently broke her hip. She has no family. She wasn't able to get out of bed. Um, we had to bring her the food. We had to bring her water because she couldn't even get out of bed and had no one to help her. And we went around visiting people like this, 
with a doctor. And this doctor um, was one of the heads of the departments in the largest Kiev hospital who came around. And of course, we secured a fee that we were paying him to come around and help these elderly Jews, give them pain medication, help them with their medical needs. And I remember at the end, when we finished doing our rounds, visiting so many elderly, helping however we could, we were all exhausted. We all worked very hard. And this doctor was a Christian, and he refused to take payment. He said, I know we agreed on a contract, but seeing what Jews and Christians are doing together for the people in Ukraine, I want these two days to be a volunteer. I don't want to take money for it. And that's when I saw such beauty and passion and um, partnership as far as the people on the ground in Ukraine who are appreciating everything that the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews and, of course, Federation of Jewish Communities and JDC and our partners are doing on the ground. And so I'm wondering, from here in Israel, after traveling around in Ukraine, saving lives for the past few months, what's the message that you want to give to the people of Ukraine, just like this doctor, just like that elderly woman who broke her hip? What's the message that you want to say to the people of Ukraine right now? Well, uh, not only for the people of Ukraine, but uh, to everybody who is listening to us right now, I just wanted to say that there is still war goes on in the middle of Europe, in the 21st century, any kind of support uh, spreading uh, the word, uh, spreading the uh, the messages, sharing the messages on the uh, uh, social media, talking about what's going on there. That's uh, just to keep the uh, uh, the idea, and not to forget that there are still people in the war zone, Jewish communities, uh, Christian communities. Uh, they all need our help. Uh, by just by spreading the word and obviously the financial help will be more than welcome because people are losing their jobs and they're trying to get their end meets. Um, just, uh, just keep talking about it. Remember that there are still people in the war zone. That's my message. Thank you so much. It's such an important one. Everyone was so consumed with what was happening in the beginning of the war. And dare we turn our eyes to it now. We have to continue to care, continue to stay alert, and uh, and to do whatever we can to help those people who are in such a desperate situation for the basics, for food, for medicine, for heat. Um, Ilya, you are amazing. Thank you so much for taking time to share with us, with me and all of our listeners about this life-saving work that you continue to do. Um, And for all of those who are listening who want to help the people of Ukraine, uh, you can visit us and donate at our website at www.ifcj.org. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Ilya. Thank you for listening to the Conversations with Yael podcast. If you like what you have heard, please check out my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, that explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith with inspirational and ancient teachings. You can also visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. Follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next month.